what a great service already. And uh, now we open up God's Word, and the um, title of the message today is Life's Greatest Question. Now, as we turn to Proverbs chapter 3, to me, life's greatest question would be if something were to happen to you tonight, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? Because that really is foundational to every other thing in life. That, that just answers a lot of questions in your life. And so I, I would present that to you this morning. But beside that, besides that, the everyday question that we have to ask ourselves is what one author put it, what is the wisest thing to do? What is the wisest decision you can make? You know, in our society, in our culture, as these are graduating and they're, they're going to find out, boy, it's just going to flash before you really very quickly. Life's going to come at you hard and fast because there are decision, decisions to make, choices to make every day of our life. Every time we turn around, there's just a myriad of things because we are the freest society, the freest culture, probably in the history of mankind. Therefore, we have choices to make. So how are you going to make the most important choices of life? Now, we make small choice, choices every day, but when we think about it, the big choices that we make, you know, where are we going to go to school after, after high school? What job are we going to take? What kind of career are we, going to, are we going to decide upon? The marriage question as well. All those things can be summed up really in just a few moments of life. So how do we prepare ourselves for those moments? Because if we make the wrong decision, it becomes really sometimes disastrous like it was in this old movie of Indiana Jones. So let's just, this illustrates it well, all right? is it? You must choose. But choose wisely. For as the true grail will bring you life, the false grail will take it from you. This certainly is the cup of the King of Kings. <laughs> One of the greatest understatements probably in the history of film, he chose poorly. Well, he did. He just made the wrong decision based on some of the wrong information. And so sometimes when we make bad decisions, they are disastrous in our life. So how can we make the wisest decisions? Well, the book of Proverbs is about wisdom. And in the book of Proverbs, we have a contrast of the wise life and the foolish life. Now, a wise life, a life of wisdom, is following the Lord. That's what the book of Proverbs presents to us. The foolish life is not like what we would call a fool today, 
But a foolish life is someone who goes by their own wisdom and their own input and own knowledge in life without really consulting the Lord, without following the Lord. And so as this is contrasted back and forth, we read a key passage, really, in the book of Proverbs, probably the central thing that really, central passage that really explains what the book of Proverbs is all about. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the, for the gain of her is better, her being wisdom, personifying it, is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. And so we seek out wisdom because, why? Because wisdom is something we need to make the right decisions of life. So we're going to be looking at this in three parts. Number one, the explanation of what wisdom is all about. Number two, we're going to be looking at the application and why we need it. And thirdly, the acquisition or how do we get it. Now, first of all, let's look at the explanation. It's amazing. As I read this passage, and I do believe it's central to the book of Proverbs, that the word wisdom is not mentioned until verse 13. But this is being set up by everything that's gone on before it. And if you can look back at Proverbs chapter 1, it says this, To know wisdom, verse 2, and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, judgment and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, as we're reading this, it goes on to say in verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so... The book of Proverbs is being set up in this way, in this wisdom literature. It's saying all this stuff about wisdom. Now, in order to understand it, we look at the synonyms, the words that are like wisdom mentioned in this passage. For example, insight. It says in verse 2, he says he's going to give you insight. What is that? Well, in the Hebrew, it, it has to do with looking beyond what the normal eye can see. Sort of like Sherlock Holmes, the old monk uh, TV show. Seeing things that nobody else can see, like a detective. Now, the problem to that is that all of us feel like we have that. You can call it women's intuition. A guy may call it uh, discernment, whatever. We feel like we've got insight and we see things far beyond what anybody else can see. And that's the lie that we tell ourselves. It's, it's a lie and it's a trap that we find ourselves in because that is the way of the foolish. It also talks about instruction. Instruction has to do with your character. It's building character through the knowledge, and then prudence has to do with you and I uh, understanding the ways of God and understanding the knowledge that he has to gain, give to us. It's looking at the reality of life. Prudence is definitely seeing the world as it really is, and so few of us really do that. And you say, no, no, I've got insight. I, I see the world for what it is. 
We see the world through American eyes. We see the world through a Democrat's eyes, a Republican's eyes. We, we see things through a conservative, a liberal, through the Word of God, not the Word of God. We see things differently than other people. And so the wisdom there is certainly lacking. Now, the word wisdom itself is the Hebrew word hakmah, which means to weave something. Now, in the Old Testament, Aaron, who was the first priest, had some uh, had some robes that were weaved together, and the same word, hakmah, is used. And so, in a simple term, wisdom is applying knowledge to life's realities, applying the knowledge that you have to life's realities. And the broader definition, wisdom is weaving the knowledge of God into the fabric of life, weaving the knowledge of God into the fabric of life, and all of us need it. And somebody says, well, I just go by the Bible. You know, I just open up the Bible, I read it, and, and God gives me all the instruction that I need. And certainly, we discern, kind of the GPS of God, we discern what we ought to do, where we ought to go through the Bible first, because there are commandments in the Bible that we don't need to pray about. For example, you're sitting in your car one day and say, well, you know, I need some money. I, I'm really broke. I can't pay my bills. I'm going to go into the 7-Eleven, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rob it. I'm going to rob the cash register, and that's going to solve my problem. But first, I want to pray about it. You know, you don't need to pray about that. You know, there's a commandment in the Bible that says, thou shalt not steal. Then there are principles, because there's some things that are not mentioned in the Bible at all. But there are principles that we, we garnish, we gather from the Word of God. For example, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul was arguing with the church at Corinth. He says, look, uh, some of you are eating meat that is offered to idols. He said, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with eating that meat. As a matter of fact, there's no such thing as an idol. <clears throat> an idol's just a statue. There's no God there, so it's not contaminated in any way. But if you eat it, it's going to cause some of the people with a Jewish background to stumble and think you're, you're not what you need to be. And it's going to cause them to stumble if they eat it because they're going to feel false guilt over it. So even though there's nothing wrong with it, the principle is put your brother ahead of yourself. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the principle. But there's some things in the Bible, there's not a command, and there's not a principle. What do you do? Maybe it's 50% of life's questions that are, are there, at least. And you think, you say, well, I don't know what to do. I just don't know. For example, you got two jobs, two jobs, or, or two schools that you can go to. You can go to one of two different universities, and both of them offer your major, both of them are, look the same. Both of them, uh, you know, cost about the same because they're state schools. So they, they cost the same. They look the same. You, you like people and the teachers on both campuses. What, what do you do? What do you do? Somebody else has a job, two job offers. One's in, in, in Dallas and one's in Orlando. And I happen to know you can't open up the Bible and find Dallas in the Bible. You know, Dallas, Texas is not listed in the Bible. I think Disney World is, but Dallas, Texas is just not there at all. And so you think, I don't know what to do because there's nothing in the Bible. It requires the wisdom, the wisdom weaving the knowledge that we have, the input that we have into the fabric of life. And so why is this so needed? What is about the application to that? One of the things that we need to realize, and this is kind of a depressing stat, really, but 70% of the people today estimated in, in some articles that I've read say that they are dissatisfied with their career choice. Now, what happens? Why would someone go into a career they don't even like or don't feel called to, don't feel a sense of fulfillment in that? 
Well, you get out of college, right? You remember that? You got out of college and you think, well, I, I need a job. I want to get married or I am married. I have kids or kids on the way. I want to start a family. I need a job somewhere. I don't want to live with my parents the rest of my life. And so you took a good job. And it was a good job. Not in your field. Not in something that you really wanted to do, perhaps. But it was a good job. And you did it well. And you got promoted. And you, you transferred here. Transferred there. Well, you couldn't afford to go out and be the artist, we'll say, that you wanted to be because it doesn't pay much. And you were getting so promoted that you received all this, these promotions and accolades and money. You liked the people that you worked with, so why not just keep the job? And you can't wait until you retire one day. Choices, decisions that we make in life only take those few moments. But how you get to that point? Well, let me say this. Wise decisions, or decisions anyway, decisions will determine how you are blessed where you go, what you do, and what you become. Now, let me, let me show you that. As you look in the Scripture this morning to um, Proverbs chapter 3, I want you to notice, and there'll be a chart up here in just a moment, notice the admonitions or conditions, and then notice the result all the way through this passage. There is a cause and effect, as there is in almost every proverb in the book of Proverbs. This is, "'My son, do not forget my teaching.'" But let your heart keep my commandments. There's the, the command, or there's the admonition. Keep my commands. The result of that, for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Then notice in verse 3. Don't, he says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Doesn't that sound like Deuteronomy chapter 6? When you're talking about passing your faith down, he says, bind them around your neck. Write them on the doorpost of your heart and your and the doorpost rather uh, of, of where you live and when we talked about the, the family series then look at the result so you will find favor verse 4 and good success in the sight of God not only God but man as well then he says in the body of this verse 5 trust in the Lord with all your heart he says you trust in the Lord verse 6 in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight in other words if you trust in God and have the wisdom of God in your life, you're not going to be going like this, oh, I'm off on a tangent in life, I'm doing something I shouldn't do, oh, I'm back on the right path, and, and I'm off here, and, and suffer for all those things that you're doing. But also, in this path of blessing, it's straight. Now, you and I both know the best way, the fastest way to get somewhere is straight. Not to go around curves and turns and neighborhoods, but go straight. And this will make your path straight. You'll get there better. You'll get there quicker. You won't have to suffer for being off the path of blessing. He says in verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord. Now, this, now there's two ways that you can really fear the Lord. Uh, you can be afraid of him. And if you are, have never received Christ into your life, maybe that's a good thing. But you can also revere him in such a way that you don't want to displease him. I remember uh, having the privilege of meeting uh, one of the great pastors uh, in Atlanta history, probably, uh, Nelson Price. He was a pastor at that time of the Roswell Street Baptist Church. And uh, at that place, they had a school, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, was meeting there at their facility. And Dr. Price was teaching one of the courses to one of my friends, one of my really good friends. And I went to school with him. We traveled a couple hours, but 
Um, I went to school with him one Monday, and he said, you know, before we go into class and everything, this is kind of during the day, I was visiting with him for a little while. He said, I'd like for us to go and meet Dr. Price. I said, well, man, that'll be great. I'd like to do that. Now, we were both kind of country, you know, preachers. We had no idea that you had to set up an appointment. I mean, we didn't have administrative assistance, much less an appointment book. You know, you just popped in, and there you were. So we popped in, and thankful uh, the administrative assistant and Dr. Price understood all that, and he was uh, more than willing to see us. Wasn't his study day, and, uh, you know, we were in there on a Monday, and he brought us into his uh, office, and we visited for about 10 or 15 minutes. And just keep in mind, my hero in the faith back then uh, was Charles Stanley. When I met Charles Stanley, I was an intern at First Baptist Atlanta, um, and when I first met him, I was nervous. Uh, his hero was Nelson Price. And so he was nervous and talking, and, uh, you know, I, I was trying to carry the ball of conversation because he was petrified. And on the way out, I said, well, uh, Dr. Price, you're so gracious for uh, meeting with us today. Thank you so much. And uh, then my friend came behind me, and he said, uh, uh, good night. Well, it was 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, at the time. And he, we walk out in the hall, and he says, did I just say good night to him? I said, yeah, you, you sure did. He was scared. Why? Because there's a different way of fearing someone. That is, you're afraid somehow you're going to displease them in some way. And that's what it's talking about here. He says, you fear the Lord. And what is it going to be? Healing to the flesh, refreshment to the bones. He says, also, honor uh, the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. You do that and your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. He, he concludes this by saying, look, don't reject discipline because without that, without problem solving, it's going to be difficult to really gain wisdom. He says, it's going to be the proof of your father's love. We go through all this, you go through the trials of life, and the security that God's loving you through the trial will come with wisdom. Well, we see the blessing. But also, it's where we go. It's going to determine where we go. We've already gone over that. What we do, all through the book of Proverbs, it, talk, it talks about moral purity. It talks about success. It talks about avoiding sin. It talks about how to raise your children. And so we understand that as we gain wisdom and how we make decisions, it's going to determine what we do with our life. And finally, it's really going to determine what we become. Because with every decision that we make, we make ourselves a different person. C.S. Lewis has said, every decision you make puts a mark on your soul. I had a friend in, uh, back in college, and he told me one day after I've shared Christ with him, and I think he was a, a little bit addicted to some stuff, and I shared Christ with him over and over and over again. He said, well, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. When I'm 30 years old, and he was maybe about 24 at the time, uh, but he said, when I'm 30 years old, I'm going to give my heart to Christ, but then I'm going to live the way I want to in the meantime. The problem to that is that every time he made a, a decision that was away from God, it took him further away from God. It changed his character on the inside. C.S. Lewis is right. Every decision you make puts a mark on your soul. One of the Hebrew words that is a synonym for wisdom has to do with developing the character you're inside. And so we need wisdom, folks. We, we need it because it determines the course of life. But we also need God's wisdom because we don't have it. We don't, we're not as wise in our own eyes as we, we think we are. Now, some of you may come and say, well, I take issue with that, Pastor, but let me give you several different, several different little arguments from all angles. One 
is from a secular psychologist, a guy that used to teach at Harvard University. He made a study at a temperament, and it's Jerome Kagan, and he said this, all of us respond to danger in life in one of three ways. One is anxious, we're, a- we're anxious about it, we're aggressive with it. Number two, number three, we're philosophical. We're, we, we, we're anxious because we run. We run from every situation in life. That's our first response. Second response, second type of temperament. We're aggressive. We attack everything in life. Man, we will run from nothing. We just go after it. Thirdly, philosophical. Well, we'll just take a wait-and-see attitude. He says, here's the problem. We are wrong, he says, approximately two-thirds of the time. For example, if you're out in the woods here and a bear, a wounded bear comes at you, and you're thinking to yourself, the first thing I need to do is run. You're making a wise choice. Now, some people might say, I run from nothing. I've got no weapon on me. And you attack, you run at that bear with your bare hands. Poor decision. And somebody else will say, well, you know, the bear's running at me very hard. He looks pretty upset. But I'm going to take a wait-and-see attitude here. Probably not the right decision. But sometimes waiting and seeing is the best thing. Sometimes being aggressive is the right thing. Sometimes running is the right thing. He's just simply saying, based on our temperament, we're wrong two-thirds of the time. And here's the problem. The world doesn't have a temperament. We do. The world doesn't. But also, we don't have the wisdom of God because we are limited in our knowledge. We just don't have the knowledge. You and I, we have experts in this room. I know that. We have engineers that are experts in their field, bankers that are experts in their field. We have uh, lawyers, perhaps, or doctors that are are, uh, experts in their field. But you're not an expert at everything. You're not. Some people would say, well, you're an expert in uh, the field of finance. How much of that world do you really know about? When you think about all the stock markets in the world, when you think about all the stocks in the world, would you say you have 1% of the knowledge? 1%. Well, maybe. But how, what kind of percent do you have of, of uh, medicine? What kind of knowledge do you have of law? What kind of knowledge do you have of the Bible? What type of knowledge or what kind of knowledge and what depth of knowledge do you have of the past? All we know about is what we read in history books. What do you know about the present? I'm not even sure what's going on here, you know? And then the future. What do you really know about the future? We're limited in our knowledge. And if knowledge is applied wisdom, then we don't have a lot of knowledge to apply in life. We're handicapped in that. We are not only limited in knowledge, but our motives are going to skew our wisdom. Our motives, our heart, is really a key. Because if we have something else on the throne of our life, then we're going to make decisions based on that. For example, someone here says, well, I've got an opportunity to promotion. Not good for my family. Not good for my relationship with God. In fact, I don't even know if a church is in that area or not. I don't know if there's any Christian fellowship there with my family, but I'm going to make this decision. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I'm, I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to move to this town in this city because it's what I've wanted all my life. It's the promotion or it's the road to the promotion to be uh, really somebody in that company. And if I'm somebody in that company, I'm going to feel like somebody. 
And if I feel like somebody, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to have the money I want. I want to have, I'm going to have the power that I want. And so you make a decision based on that motive, motive in order to move. And you, you rationalize, think, oh, my kids will be okay. We'll find some Christian fellowship. There's got, we live in America. There's got to be a church there somewhere that's good. Bible preaching. And we rationalize things because our motives are all wrong. And so our character also worsens with every decision we make that's, that's wrong. It gets further and further away from God. In fact, James, in James chapter um, 3, um, James, which by the way, the book of James is a lot like the book of Proverbs. It's not Proverbs. It's not wise sayings, but there's a lot of wisdom literature here. And in verse 13 of chapter 3, he says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast with false truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from, from above, he says, but is earthly, it's of this world, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Wow, demonic. That's kind of strong. All he's saying is, look, the input that you're having in your brain, the computer that's up here between your ears that is calculating the knowledge that you have to apply it to life is from the world, your culture, is from their culture and from demonic forces whispering in your brain, your ear, you might say. So you don't know where the knowledge is really coming from. So we don't have it. And to say, oh, I'm, I'm wise beyond my, my time, and I, I have wisdom, and I can apply it. Some of the people that have knowledge, that have the least amount of wisdom, and make, make some of the, the, the strangest decisions, think they're the wisest people. Why? Because we fool ourselves into thinking that. You and I have to have God's wisdom in order to make the right decisions. Otherwise, we're going to choose poorly. So how do we get it? I'm going to give you six things, five or six things. And I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list, but as I look at this passage and other passages in Proverbs, I feel like if we do these things, we're going to gain the wisdom of God. Number one is to know God. Look with me again in verse one. My son, he's, he's teaching him, writing to his son and his sons and trying to coach them along. Do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. God is saying to us, don't forget the teaching. Keep his commandments. For the length of days and years of life, peace will be added unto you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. He's simply saying, write them. He says, live by them. Live with me. Take the word of God and make it yours. Not just a matter of reading it, but applying it, living with it. Truth isn't yours until it becomes you. Gain the knowledge of God that he has. Now, you and I, as parents, grandparents, need to realize this. Whoever we hang out with is what we're going to become like. Whatever our young people hang out, whoever they hang out with, if they get off in college and start hanging out with another group, you're, you're liable after a while, may take a year, may take two years or, or longer, but you become like them. You, see, you begin to see life from their point of view. Well, if that's the case... The one we need to hang out with is God. We hang out with God. We get to know him in an intimate way. 
We spend time with him. We spend time in his word, and we begin to see life like he sees it. We begin to have the wisdom that he has. But we have to know God first in a way of salvation, knowing that you're going to heaven, knowing that Jesus Christ lives in your heart. But even after that, growing with him in the word of God, know him. Then we need to guard our heart. Later in Proverbs, it says this, chapter 4, verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. He says, everything flows out of the heart, so watch it. He says, put a garrison over it, guard it, put guardrails around it, because out of it flow the wisdom, out of it flow the decisions, out of it flow the heart, the issues of life. He says in verse 5, he says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. All your heart. We've said the heart is not something of the emotions. The world says, well, what's your heart? Well, that's a seat of your emotions. I've heard that all my life. I've heard that in school. I've heard that in movies. I've heard that on television. Seat of your emotions, and it gets a pass in our society. As long as you feel, oh, that's just the way you feel. Well, how can you, how, how can you combat your feelings? The most extreme case of this is the movie producer and director Woody Allen, who married his adopted daughter and said, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. And most people did not give him a pass, but many people did. Well, that's just what his heart wants. I mean, wow, he was, he's in love. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, and this is the truth, that the heart is the causal core of who you are. It's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions, it's just, it's your decision-making mechanism. It's, it's just who you are down to the core of your being. He says, trust in the Lord with the core of your being. Watch the core of your being with all your heart, with all diligence, for from it, from it flow the issues of life. He says, set guardrails around it because you're saying that there's value to your heart. And so you're guarding your heart of sin, guarding your heart of wrong thoughts, guarding your heart of something that will make you make a little small decision in life that will be built upon to make bad decisions in life. Watch it. Now, here we come to the heart of it. What's and who is on the throne of your life? It always skews our decisions. What do you want out of life? Whatever you want, what do you, immediately you thought, wow, this is exactly what I want. I want to get a degree in this. I want to get a job in this. I want to marry this person. I want, I want to retire in this way. I, whatever your, whatever is on the throne of your life, whatever is in your heart is going to dictate your decisions and my decisions. Whatever you want out of life, the most will skew your decisions toward that. So you guard your heart. Secondly, or thirdly, you trust God. Again, in verse 5, trust. Your heart is guarded. You're looking to, for Jesus on the throne, and therefore you know that you can rely on him when the, when the going really gets tough. You know that making those decisions in life, you look down and you say, well, what I do, Pastor, I, I sort of write down all the, the good things and the bad things of each decision because there's always really two, right? I mean, most of the time, 
There's only two decisions. There's not a, a great amount, or rather two choices. There's not a great amount of choices in life. You, you bo- maybe make it down to two schools that you're interested in, two jobs that are there before you, two things. And so you write down all the pluses and all the minuses, and, and there you go. But here's the thing. If you guarded your heart, some of those things that you write down, you're going to be thinking, well, that's not the best for me. That's not the best for my family. That's not even on the throne of my life. But some things are going to make the list when you're not trusting in him that you would not really want to make because they're going to cause you to make some difficult decisions or wrong decisions. We've said last week, trusting in the Lord is giving your heart and saying, God, look, This is what I want more than anything else it seems like in my life, and I don't want that to be first place. I want you to be first place. God, I want to love you. I I love my kids, but I want to love you more. I love my job, but I want to love you more. I love my my spouse, but I want to love you more. I love my friends, but I want to love you more. God, would you help me to love you more? Trusting in him. And then it says here, in trusting, we need to fear him and turn away from evil, not wanting to displease him. Fourthly, persevere under trials. Look, skip skip with me down in verse 11 real quickly. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. We're children of God. If you're a believer today, you're a child of God. Now, all of us go through trials in life. Here's the difference, however. If you are outside of Christ, you don't know him as your Savior and Lord, trials are going to come at you like germs off the street. One thing right after another, sometimes they'll have a, a, accomplished a purpose to make you more mature. Sometimes there's just no purpose at all. It just seems like punishment in life. If you are a child of God, he comes to you, and when we get off the path of blessing, he disciplines us like a father disciplines his son. The difference is we're children of the king when we're Christians. God watches over that kind of suffering. He watches over the disciplines of life in order to make you something better. And so we persevere in a trial. Listen, without solving problems, we'll, we'll never apply wisdom. That's how wisdom is applied every single day. That's how you build up your, your spiritual muscles of problem solving so when you and I get to the big decisions in life, we'll know what to do. We'll recognize the voice of God. Why? Because every day we face problems. They come at you hard. Every day. One solved, another one comes up. Another solved, another one comes up. But through the problem solving, we gain wisdom. He says, don't despise this. Cooperate with God. Obey the Lord in all this. Then he says, finally, finally you ask for it. James 1.5 says this. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, I've claimed this verse thousands of times in life. But you can't claim it in in isolation. You can't say, well, God, you know, I haven't really been following you. There's sin in my life. I've kind of been going off the wayward path. But I've got a real hard decision to make, and I have no idea what to do. And I want to do the right thing. But I have no idea what to do. God... It says in James 1, 5, if you just give, if I just ask, you'll give me wisdom. You've got to read the rest of the passage around it. What it means is, is when you and I are following the Lord, 
and we're persevering under these trials, we're going to be tested. And we come to God and say, God, I really am I'm following you. You're on the throne of my life, but I still don't know what to do, so I'm asking you to help me make the wise choice. And he will. It's the last thing. It's the first thing, but it, it's intertwined to everything else that we're doing. Now I want to ask you a question. Man's wisdom could never save you. Why do you think it's going to help you now? Why do you think, with a limited knowledge that we have, that we're going to be able to make wise choices that are going to determine the course of the rest of our life? And those big decisions come up. And suddenly we think, wow, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of living in the life that I've planned for myself. Reminds me of the story of the guy that um, is building houses. He has a son. They build them together. The dad always builds a house. The son helps, but the dad's always been building the houses. Well, the son's about ready to get married. He really does need more money. And the, and the dad's thinking, I need to turn over some of the business to my son. So he says, well, son, here's what I want you to do. I've got a house I want you to build out there. It's yours. It's your project. You construct it. You, you be the contractor to it. I'm not even going to bother with it. I just trust you with it. And uh, now, the dad was known to build custom houses, right? Now, I know that everybody advertises custom housing around here, but, you know, somehow it looks just like the one next door, you know, something like that. But this was custom, and he built it, I, I mean, so well that he was known around the area for building a quality house, never cut corners. So he gave it to his son. His son takes the house, builds it up, but he's thinking to himself, look, I'm about to get married, and I need money. And, and the profit from this, the way it's scheduled, is just not going to be enough for me. And so he began to cut corners. He cut this corner and that one and that one, and just to get by on materials, on workmanship. And the house was finished, and of course it was painted. It was looked nice on the outside as well as on the inside. The construction, not so solid. So he went to his dad, threw the, put the keys on, on the desk. He says, Dad, finish with the house. He said, great. Did you build it well? He said, yes, sir, sure did. To our specifications, the way we build houses? He said, yes, so it's built extremely well. Yes, sir, it is, just like you've always built them. He said, sir, thanks, son. That's great. I'm proud of you. And he picks up the keys, and he hands them to his son. He said, I wanted you to build this house because I wanted to make it a wedding gift to you and your bride. You see, we choose the foundation of our life. Then we build the life on that foundation. Then we live in the life that we build. Don't you want the wisdom of God? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. What about you today? I'll ask you the first question I asked just a few moments ago. If you were to die right now, do you know for sure that you go to heaven? That's the foundation. That's what it's all about. That's the beginning step. If you don't know that, then how in the world could you ever build an intimate relationship with God and hang out with God and become more like him if Jesus is not even in your heart, in the core of your being? So I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. If that's, if that's the case in your heart, and you say, you know, I don't even know. 
okay, I was baptized here in this church or another church, and I made a decision at, at I don't know, Christmas Village or Judgment House years ago. Or, you know, I, I just don't know. I certainly don't feel any difference in my life. Then you need to receive Christ. If you don't know, then you need to be certain today. Don't go another moment, another day, certainly, without knowing this for sure. And so if that's the condition of your heart, if that's the prayer of your heart, pray this prayer with me. Pray it with me silently. Just repeat it after me as I pray it aloud. Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for me on the cross. I can't save myself, and I cannot direct my life to success on my own. So I invite you into my heart. If I've never been saved, I want to be saved right now. I want to become a believer right now. I want to become a follower of Christ right now. Come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you look this way? If you prayed that prayer with me, you were instructed to fill out this card at the beginning. And the reason we want everyone to fill out the card is because on the back of the card, it says, it talks about my decision today. And you're not, maybe you're going to have time to fill out the front of the card real well and still make your decision on the back. But on the back of the card, in the upper right-hand corner, it says, my decision today, I have decided to surrender my life to Christ and begin a personal relationship with him. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to put a little check in that box and make sure it gets in the offering plate when it's passed in just a few moments or any other decision you may have made. Maybe today you're saying, hey, you know, I've, I've got a tough decision to make in my life. Would you pray for me? So you put that down. But also we want to have a public invitation as well because there's many of you here that are thinking, look, I want to be authentic about this and just putting a check on a card is not going to do it for me. I want to talk to someone today about the assurance in my heart that Jesus lives in there. I want to tell somebody today. So we're going to have an invitation. We're going to ask you to come, pray that prayer. We're going to ask you to come and take one of the gentlemen by the hand that's going to be standing up in front of you right now. And then we're going to be asking you, what about your wisdom? What about where you are today? Don't don't worry about the clock. Don't worry about lunch for a moment. Just think about yourself. Do you need prayer today? The altar is open. You ask you to come, you say, I need prayer for this, for wisdom. I've got to make these decisions. Or I just need to give my heart anew and afresh to the Lord, put him back on the throne of my life, whatever the prayer is. Maybe there's somebody else you're praying for. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.